Hey everyone, it is Thursday, August 4th. I'm Mo Shwinunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. I wanted to take a deep dive today into a trial that so many of you have been asking about. It is the trial of conspiracy theorist and talk show host, Alex Jones. The parents of Sandy Hook victims are suing Jones for $150 million in damages for Jones's claims that, among other things, the Sandy Hook shooting was synthetic, a false flag, these are his words, and that families of those who were killed were crisis actors. The mass shooting, of course, killed 20 children and six adults back in 2012. This December will mark 10 years since that mass shooting. These kids would have been teenagers this year. It's been a remarkable and emotional couple days. Parents have been testifying directly at Jones, saying their kids are real. The judge repeatedly has been admonishing Jones for lying multiple times under oath, saying he needs to stick to the truth. This is not his talk show. And on Wednesday, we learned that attorneys for Jones may have accidentally emailed the plaintiff's attorneys, the Sandy Hook family attorneys, all of Jones's text messages and emails. There is a lot to get to. The jury now has the case and must now decide whether Jones must pay the parents for the emotional distress and reputational damage caused by his false claims. Uh, Adam Klasfeld, he's the managing editor of Law & Crime. I've been watching your coverage of this trial, but it goes back to the Glenn Maxwell trial, Avenatti, Palin. Uh, You do an incredible job, and I really appreciate you joining me. Well, thank you very much for the kind words, and thank you for having me. I want to start at the beginning here, Adam. Who is Alex Jones? What has he been saying? And how did we get to this trial? Well, Alex Jones is the man behind InfoWars, a essentially right-wing broadcaster that has been on the airwaves since the 1990s. And he has been uh, as illustrated during his cross-examination this afternoon, a pretty vigorous and brutal cross-examination, he's met few conspiracy theories that he hasn't flirted with, from 9-11 trutherism uh, to uh, very, in the early days of the Oklahoma City bombings, uh, and talking about, he speaks very often about what he calls the New World Order. Uh, What this trial is about is about his uh, conspiracy theories as to the Sandy Hook a tragedy, the Sandy Hook massacre. Uh, he had called it a hoax. He said that it was staged by child actors. And what these trials are about is not whether he said that. Uh, there has been a default judgment as because of the discovery violations in the process of three lawsuits filed against him by Sandy Hook families in both Connecticut and the ongoing trial, of course, is in Texas. He did not turn over the required discovery the judges found and therefore found him in default and ruled against him. And the jury's task now, what brings us here today, uh, decades into Alex Jones's uh, trail of conspiracy theories over the years and decades, has to do with how much jurors are going to award the Sandy Hook families for those broadcasts, for the claims that he uh, put out there that Sandy Hook was uh, staged by crisis actors and since uh, walked back 
uh, and, but as has emerged throughout the trial, often with little footnotes and caveats and uh, asking questions about uh, the tragedy, even if he now doesn't full-throatedly embrace the trutherism uh, theory. Yeah, I, I want to get to his testimony in a second. Though, um, in, in your answer just now, you talked about him not cooperating with discovery. Explain what exactly that was and, and what that means. So in the discovery process, essentially, the parties share information that could be relevant at trial. And what came into sharp relief today, as a matter of fact, Mo, as you know from watching the proceedings today, what he had said during discovery was when the counsel for the Sandy Hook families asked for certain emails, certain texts, he said he didn't have them. Uh, as a matter of fact, he testified today quite emphatically. He doesn't use email. There's too much email in the world. Uh, and he said that they, these just don't exist. There's nothing to turn over. Now, it, long before today's testimony happened, there were rulings that it just wasn't credible. The families weren't getting the discovery that was required of them to build the case. And that is what landed him in default. Today, we found out just how merited that ruling was. There's so much in the last 48 hours, but this was this is really incredible to watch. The, the plaintiff's attorneys, these are the attorneys who represent the Sandy Hook families, somehow got a hold of years of Alex Jones's emails and text messages. They claim it was accidentally sent to them by the defense. So what we learned today is that uh, the plaintiff's lawyer, and he essentially accused him of a crime in real time, he said that he was inadvertently sent a, the full data of Alex Jones's uh, cell phone. And that with that data, he found these uh, text messages that were requested, the emails that were requested, the emails that he claimed not to exist in a very dramatic moment. He took a printout of one of the emails, walked right up to the witness stand, had uh, a seemingly surprised, maybe even stunned Alex Jones inspecting it and verifying indeed that is an email from his account. And it's something that sharply contradicts his statements even as recently as today and yesterday, uh, he got, uh, Alex Jones got in trouble for saying he complied with discovery, contrary to the rulings by the judge. He just let slip out that for the jury that he complied with the discovery. And clearly, as this evidence showed, he didn't. How do we think this happened? I mean, it's so interesting because this is literally a a trial where a conspiracy theorist is on trial and somehow the text messages got accidentally sent to the uh, plaintiff's attorney. It, it makes the rest of us be like, well, there's got to be something up here, right? And people are messaging me uh, as that happened, like, oh, come on, something's up. Like, you know, one of his attorneys has <laughs> turned against him. What what have you learned so far? How, how could this, is this one of those outlook things where somebody has the same last name initial and somebody hit? What's your sense and, and what are you seeing in terms of how this could have come to be? Well, it, it's really hard to speculate. And I think that this story will emerge. Uh, it's, it seems like an awful lot of data to let slip in an errant email. And I'm sure that there will be uh, an interesting story behind this as this emerges. But essentially, it changes 
quite a few things. One, uh, in revealing this information, the attorney for the Sandy Hook families out and out accused him of perjury. Right. Now, that may or may not be of interest to the Travis County District Attorney's Office. Time will tell. But we have to remember that outside the four corners of this courtroom, outside of Travis County, Texas, there is an ongoing investigation by the January 6th committee that we're trying to get hold of some of the same messages. And so how did this wind up seemingly inadvertently into the lap of the opposing counsel uh and what what would this mean it i can't wait for that story to emerge and i see why a lot of people are having questions i'm sure that alex jones himself will have a few theories that he won't be shy about airing on Infowars. <laughs> it's going to involve bill gates anthony fauci and somebody else <laughs> but but in in all seriousness seriousness here could the way this was revealed could this impact Jones positively. I mean, could there be some sort of, you know, verdict in his favor based on on how these email like basically could could this help him in some way, oddly enough? So I I will be a little bit evasive here because yeah. I am a legal journalist and not a legal expert. But I will say here, uh, it is hard from the experts that I have spoken to they think it's utterly disastrous. It is hard to see a silver lining on this for Alex Jones, that something that, A, utterly contradicts what he's been saying in sworn testimony, is saying that he doesn't have these emails, he doesn't have these text messages. Not only does he apparently have them, but they have landed in the lap of opposing counsel at the most inopportune time, right after the judge repeatedly accused him of false testimony. Uh, this is something that it, it just seems so self-evidently disastrous that it's hard to imagine how it will redound to his benefit. Yeah, I, it, it seems at times that this trial, literally truth has been on trial, the idea of the truth. And uh, the judge's comments and her admonishments of uh, Alex Jones have, have gone viral uh, online across social media. Um, she's, she said a number of interesting things. It seems absurd to instruct you again that you must tell the truth while you testify. Yet here I am. You must tell the truth while you testify. This is not your show. It, it, some people send me messages like this feels like somebody talking to their middle schooler uh, about, <laughs> about truth. But, but in, in much more serious terms, you know, he's facing um, major potential financial penalties here and potential criminal issues. What, what do we know about um, the fact that a judge is telling, uh, uh, you know, telling a defendant that he has lied under oath? W- what are the potential criminal penalties he could face and I guess would be a subsequent trial, right? Right. I mean, perjury is a crime. He has been now accused of perjury by a co- opposing counsel, asked if he knew the definition of perjury. Uh, this is something, you know, I, I won't make any predictions about it, but it's a, it's a serious accusation and it's a, an accusation that a judge seems to believe is, uh, she, she said that he 
gave testimony that was false. You know, it would probably go down to knowledge uh, if it ever came to that. But the entire premise of this case is that he knew uh, and that he and that is why we are at damages, because the defamation is is at this point, uh, at least legally proven. We're just trying to see what he is meant to pay for it. This December marks 10 years since the Sandy Hook shooting. Um, Jones initially said at times during the trial that he was sucked into lying. You know, he's blaming it on the mainstream media. And then we saw the headline today, him on the stand saying, finally, the shooting, quote, it's 100% real. Uh, 10 years in the making. Uh, Describe that moment uh, and describe what sort of impact his admission finally that uh, the mass shooting happened could have. The uh, Alex Jones is clearly hoping that the acknowledgement that these children died, these children died as a result of this massacre, will say that he is trying to turn the page. He has said over and over that he has tried to apologize to the families and has apologized from the witness stand. And uh, he apologized to them from the witness stand moments after insulting one of the parents on the broadcast. So it is a kind of question of clearly the plaintiff's counsel believes that this is insincere. And that's one of the grounds on which he wants to give a heavy penalty of $150 million. Uh, He's questioning the sincerity of it and notes that very often, even in the acknowledgement, 10 years in that uh, that these children died and that they were killed in this mass shooting. It wasn't crisis actors. It wasn't a plot. Uh, that this is something that he believes should really make things turn the corner, and that it uh, that that's the argument that his attorney put out on closing arguments. Uh, the and that is the fault line here. The sincerity of his of his apology uh the whether this was as alex jones had jones had it a mistake of him placing too much trust in one of his sources uh or whether he actively over the course of a decade tried to amplify these lies to profit to sell prepper gear and to sell vitamins Uh, These are the dueling sides of the case that each side is presenting. There was this one very uh, significant moment I found in cross-examination where the, and it's less celebrated because there was just so much explosive testimony today that the lawyer took head on Alex Jones's claim that he was just misled from a source around uh, 2015, and then after that saw the errors of his ways. And he basically said, Mr. Jones, would you be surprised to know that this guest continued to appear on your show after that date? And essentially got him to admit, oh, the dates all blur in together. I think what you said is right on point, Mo. Truth is on trial. At the end of the day, a reality exists of when did Jones apologize? Did he in fact apologize? And if he is in fact 
attacking the family over the duration of the trial, attacking the judge and trying to preemptively uh, torpedo trust in the ruling by claiming that she is in league with pedophiles, which was a broadcast that he did not give. Um, But there, there are real answers to this question. Either, as Jones has it, he is the target of a massive media and legal campaign to twist his words out of recognition, or he's actually been saying these things that cause these very real consequences for these families. And that's what the jury's. I, I want to talk about the consequences. You know, the, the, you know, the, you, you see the headline lawsuit, which is, you know, for upwards of $150 million, these families have already experienced unspeakable tragedy, you know, the, right. the murder of their children. And then on top of that, they have Jones saying these things. And, you know, for Jones to claim that, you know, he doesn't have, he has a platform where he can talk every day to all of his people. And we'll talk about his money in, in a second. But when it comes to these families who've already suffered these tragedies, what sorts of things have these people experienced? Are they drawing a direct line between Jones's words and what they've had to endure for the past 10 years? Well, perhaps the most dramatic example came during the testimony of Neil Heslin, who's the father of the six-year-old victim in this case. Neil Heslin had recounted a moment where he said his house was quote-unquote shot up by people who had claimed that they that shouted uh, Jones's name and Infowars's name. That was the testimony. So it's hard to imagine a more dramatic example of, than that. There is the receipt of emails from people involved in Infowars uh, grilling them and with a list of 16 questions. Uh, there is they are claiming the emotional distress of having to in addition to cope with the grief of the loss of a son in such a violent death to cope for years afterwards with an audience of millions of people who any one of them could see them on the street, recognize them, uh, or, or try to, as happened uh, many times according to their testimony, harass them. Uh, insult them, that that is some of the fallout that they claim, that it's emotional, that it's, uh, it is keeping them from properly grieving their son, that in de- dealing with the grief, they also have to deal with harassment and the denial of what had happened. Yeah, one of the uh, other parents we heard from was Scarlett Lewis, uh, the, the mother of the six-year-old um was it uh, Jesse? Jesse Lewis, yes. Jesse Lewis, um, who was murdered. She took the stand um, and she spoke directly to Alex Jones. My son existed. You're still on your show today trying to say that I'm uh, implying that I'm an actress, that I'm deep state. You have this week. And I don't understand truth Truth is so vital to our world. Truth is what we base our reality on. And we have to agree on that to have a civil society. That was a very powerful moment of Scarlett Lewis's testimony. Uh, She, of course, was addressing Jones directly and saying her son is real. That 
uh, I will tell you one thing about Jones's reaction. I didn't see his reaction to her remarks in real time, but there was a very uh, notable moment during his testimony when it began, when she he reacted to it. He started to answer his attorney's question with a tangent. He went on a tangent and uh, the judge reprimanded him for it. And at that moment, he replied, okay, so she gets to monologue and I don't, or something along those lines. Got it. Uh, I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but it shows the dramatic gulf between the two sides here for all of Jones's protestations throughout the trial about his apology. um, There has been a a feeling that was articulated by the plaintiff's counsel that he sees himself as a victim uh, of this, of MSM distortions and the like. Uh, So his reaction to it was, it was a monologue that, you know, that the word that, that was the word that he used. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't a moment of being a a monologue, by the way, is something actors do, right? Exactly. Absolutely. It's, it, it is something that, uh, he was decidedly explicitly minimizing in his choice of words at Mm -hmm. that moment. So that it's hard to think of a more dramatic illustration of him reacting to that moment that you described than that. With a lot of these civil trials, and it takes me back to that, I remember the OJ civil trial and the family, you know, for years trying to get the money that, uh, you know, the, that the ruling gave them. And and one of the things we've been watching here is Jones, Jones filing for bankruptcy. Um, and in fact, the judges admonished him for bringing up the idea that he is bankrupt and she's like, just because you filed for bankruptcy does not make you bankrupt. Please stop saying that in front of the jury. Um, right. But explain that strategy to the extent that you understand it, the filing for bankruptcy. And if a jury is to award these families $150 million, what are the means or what, are, what is the process by which they will actually end up seeing that money? The families have said in filings after filings, whether in the Connecticut litigation or in Texas, that these bankruptcy uh, filings are in bad faith. They claim that there have been inappropriate transfers from Jones's companies, uh, some of which that they believe are essentially um, companies that are both controlled by him, that some of the money is good, that one of the companies claims to be in debt after transferring millions of dollars directly to Jones. So we'll, I think one of the most interesting things after this case concludes uh, will be to keep a sharp eye on the bankruptcy litigation. Uh, as you noted, he did say that he was bankrupt, which the judge said, of course, was false, uh, and explained to him the difference between filing for bankruptcy and being bankrupt. On Friday, He's, he, so, he he doesn't he doesn't seem uh, big on precision, precise language. <laughs> well, that 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 I I think the evidence supports that. Though. Yeah, I think the evidence you. supports <laughs> that that he he might see things a little broadly. 
Yeah. Um, but he himself admits he and said it in his testimony today. He is not a journalist. Um, he is a commentator. Uh, and he he did say that he believes that he broke the WMD story and the Jeffrey Epstein story. He said he was the first one. I think we're going to need a fact check on both of those claims. Right. Uh, we, we, no- he, he, he tends to say a lot of things where he doesn't actually have evidence of what he's saying, but he says that mm-hmm. nonetheless correct absolutely sometimes on the witness stand even uh and of course when he said the made the line about being bankrupt that was one of the remarks that invited the sparked a sanctions threat by the opposing counsel i was starting to say on friday there will be a proceeding in the bankruptcy case to determine whether filing for bankruptcy in texas will cause a delay in the upcoming trial in Connecticut. So in terms of what he seeks to gain from this, perhaps there is a delay in the second trial. Um, We'll find out more on Friday and we'll see whether the other shoe drops in September as planned. So, so explain what's next here. So this is not the last trial he faces. This jury will determine whether the families are awarded somewhere between zero and $150 million. Um, And then what is the next trial about? And is that the last trial that he faces in regards to Sandy Hook? So then there are two remaining uh, cases in Connecticut, and they are essentially different families bringing separate defamation claims. And the Connecticut cases will come to a head in September, uh, barring any intervention from a federal bankruptcy court in Texas. So that's why Friday is important uh, in, insofar as learning that. Uh, part of, that's part of the reason why the potential liabilities are so massive. As you noted, it's a cap of uh, $150 million for that. But that's one of three cases. Uh, he is looking at the possibility of a, a, a huge, massive uh, amount of liabilities. And we learned today that he has also pulled in a massive amount of income. The plaintiff's uh, attorney said on cross-examination, confronted him with the fact that on certain days he was making $800,000 that the, the company, the enterprise was $800,000 in a single day. And this, this was some of the other things we were learning from those text messages that mysteriously got to um, the, the Sandy Hook family attorney, correct? Yes, yes. And... So this is a rapidly developing story. I think the story of his finances, which will come into sharper relief in the bankruptcy court proceedings, will show what has been happening under the surface of a lot of the drama, a lot of the spectacle of even the court proceedings that we are watching, but also the uh, pomp and circumstance of his broadcasts. What is the business model of it? How has the, you know, from the perspective of the plaintiff's attorney on closing arguments, that selling this paranoia, the the idea that everything is a false flag, everything uh, is a staged event for the purpose of taking away your rights, is a way to 
scare people into buying products that are actually quite lucrative. And what? Yeah, what? Give us a sense. What is he selling? How is he making eight hundred thousand dollars a day? Some days. <laughs> well, there is prepper gear, vitamins. I, I, in I. <laughs> would just say you know browse uh, his page it's it's all <laughs> yeah yeah we're, we're we're not here to promote infowars.com but over on infowars.com you can prepare for armageddon i imagine <laughs> precisely precisely and so we have these two subsequent um two upcoming trials in connecticut and then of course when we mentioned it earlier and i just want to uh, end with this the january 6th uh, implications here. Jones testified before the January 6th committee back last January, and apparently he took the fifth, what was it, a, more than 100 times um, during that uh, testimony. What, what do we know right now about, given the text messages are now available, um, what the implications are for Jones when it comes to January 6th? Well, if they're fully available, I'd be reading them right now. <laughs> we will see how many of them emerge. Um, I think that he's going to, this disclosure is going to keep a lot of lawyers and investigators very busy. And uh, if oh, it also might compound the many legal woes that Alex Jones is experiencing. It has heretofore been on the civil side. We will see what happens. Uh, you know, I, as a, as a policy, I rarely make predictions, but this was a, I will say this, it was a monumental development to learn of the existence of it. Uh, Jones did try to downplay it when this was revealed on the fly during cross-examination. He uh, snarked that it was the opposing counsel's Perry Mason moment, um, but it was certainly a very dramatic moment, not only in the point of view of spectacle, but in the very real reality of how this will affect investigations and court cases from Texas to Connecticut to Washington, D.C. Adam Klasfeld, we'll have to have you back as uh, the Jones uh, legal saga um, ends in Texas and continues on to Connecticut and potentially heads to Washington with January 6th. Uh, Adam is the managing editor of Law and Crime. You can follow him on Twitter over at Klasfeld Reports uh, and all of his coverage over at lawandcrime.com. Uh, Adam, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Adam uh, for being a guest. He's had a very uh, long week covering this trial, but uh, very much appreciated his insight there. And I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily podcast. We love your feedback on how we're doing, on what we're covering, other things you might want to see on the podcast. Please email us, podcast at mo.news. A reminder to also subscribe to the Mo News newsletter. You can find that at Com. And of course, follow me for all of the latest 24-7 on my Instagram page at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. And as we go, don't forget to follow or subscribe to the show on the podcast app you're listening to us on. Your reviews also make a difference. So please leave us a review on your podcasting app. Very much appreciate that. I will see everyone here tomorrow.